0: Okay, welcome to the Garage Mammal Podcast. This is going to be a a slightly different one. Uh, Downgrading our audio quality just to get a little bit of ambience. So apologies for the echo. Um, But I'm here with Ryan Blundell. Ryan Blundell, how do we... It's Blunden, but every time
1: Every time I go to the airport, I get exactly this. So, you know what, whatever you want to call me, Chris, is is fine.
0: Bob. All right, I'm here with Bob. (laughs) And we're going to toy around with some inter- interweaving ideas on uh, coding, developing and music for a variety of reasons. Um, why don't you introduce yourself first, Ryan? People have heard enough of me in this podcast before. Yeah, sure. So my name's Ryan. Uh, I've been writing code for about 15
1: years now. And uh, let's see, I've always loved doing a bit of everything. So I've done web dev, I've done some, some server stuff, iOS, Android. Uh, And now I'm more focusing on the DevOps uh, and the automation space, so things like Docker, Kubernetes, um, Jenkins, all of that good stuff. Uh, And then how music comes into it, I've been playing drums since I was 15, and... Music has always been the thing that has kind of kept me sane in my professional career. So sometimes, you know, too much code, I start to get a little bit dull, uh, and then I can jump back into the music, and it kind of music triggers a different part of my brain. Um, That not only or does it, which we'll come to in a minute, or does it, it. (laughs) but at least it feels like it kind of kind of gets me out of a, a bit of a rut sometimes, and. I feel like, creatively also, it brings an element to programming that I'm not sure I would have if it wasn't
0: for the music. And from my perspective, I've sort of alluded to it a couple of times on the podcast, but never really explicitly. About 10 years ago, I used to play in a semi-professional group in the UK. Um, But I did a computer science degree before that and then kind of went back to programming for a bit. And this is actually something interesting. So this is kind of where we're leading to here for our first um, thought, is uh, a couple of years ago, actually, um, there was an NME article, the then relevant musical paper in the UK and now seems to just be a free advertising magazine. And it had an article about um, what happened to all the musicians from the era when I used to play in the early 2000s. And actually, a surprisingly high amount of them were all programmers now. <laughs> so, so it sparked something in my mind around this commonality. Um, I always found it quite easy to switch backwards and forwards from tours to then just doing contract work. This was back in the heady days of the uh, mid-2000s when being a web developer was like being a, a witchcraft. and You could quite easily get jobs because no one had the foggiest idea what you did. Um, so it was relatively easy to switch backwards and forwards. And as far as I can tell, in different fields, maybe iOS development or DevOps or whatever it happens to be, this is still pretty much the same. Um, it's a good career to switch back and forth. One, you do for the passion and not for the money. And one pays quite well. So they complement each other reasonably well as well. Yeah. Um, so it intrigued me. Um And Ryan and I were talking over Skype a little while back about this aspect as well of the effect that uh, performance, especially music in this particular case, but also acting, I guess, the benefit it can have on how you present yourself as a developer as well, because uh, developers are often stereotyped as being a bit socially awkward and not very good at presenting themselves and how... That experience with performance can help you in that as well, and I think that's an area that maybe you'd like to probably kick off with. I think it's the one that you feel most strongly about. So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I am. I'm doing a lot of
1: face to face, you know, classroom training at the moment. And um, when Chris and I were, were talking, and we got onto this topic of tech and music and and how they intersect, I was I was saying to Chris that um, one thing that really helps me with the classroom training is I prepare for it and I do it exactly the same way that if I was doing a gig. So what that means is that when you, when I'm doing a gig, I want to know where I'm playing. I want to know the people that are going to be there. And if we need to perhaps adjust our set, uh, or our banter or whatever, so we can better engage with the audience to kind of get that energy flowing. Um, So likewise, when I go into the training room, even if I'm teaching something I've taught 10 times before, of course, the people are always different. Mm. Their biases are going to be different. Their level of experience is different. And perhaps even what they expect from me as a trainer or a coach is going to be different as well. And so being able to kind of tap into where your audience is at just means that you can, you know, literally put on a better, a better show. So it's always about the audience and what they want out of it. It's never about the performer um, the other thing that really helps too is that, you know, public speaking um, for a lot of developers, uh, it's incredibly daunting just for a lot of people. And it was for me too when I, when I started out. It's not like I was one of those people that could just naturally talk in front of oh, anyone. Oh. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, one thing that helps me though is that, for instance, when I play a gig, when I go up on stage, uh, and this isn't something I don't consciously do this, but the minute I step up on stage and the lights come up, I'm not really Ryan, the person anymore. I'm more of this uh, projection of, of, something, of something else. And it allows me to kind of leave all of my worries and, you know, when is the rent due and all of that stuff behind. And I'm just performing. I'm just in that moment. And likewise, when I do my training, it's exactly the same thing. Um, and this is especially important because you know when you're doing training you are putting on a performance um and you know you've the way you deliver and with you know the passion and all of that stuff is really critical and you know sometimes we have bad days sometimes we're tired but you've got to get into that mode that when you step into that classroom and you greet your students you're now that persona that is there to you know rock their world and give them lots of great stuff they can learn to take back to their jobs. And so the fact that I kind of had this mode as a musician means I was able to tap into that. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't feel like it was Ryan, you know, the person or the developer necessarily up on stage. Uh, it was me, the person that was there to give them knowledge and instruct and hopefully motivate them. Mm. Um, and I think for a lot of people that might out, that might be out there that... Um, want to share what they know but they're nervous about it Mm. Um, I think it's just it's a skill it's like riding a bike Um, in the same way that you can read a lot of books about riding a bike the only way to ride a bike is to actually get on there and fall up and you know skin knees and all that kind of stuff so that's not to say that learning how to speak in front of people is going to be um, necessarily painless but I do believe anyone anyone can do it Um, and I think yeah musicians perhaps have an edge um, because of it, that performance aspect.
0: It's, it's interesting. I mean, I think from my perspective, the things I found most useful were more um, small, practical things like. Uh, so, this thing wasn't necessarily relevant in the band I used to play in, but before that, I actually had singing lessons. And learning the ability to project and enunciate clearly is actually um, a it can make your speaking so much better and people listen so much more and you can say crap but if you say it well it's still (laughs) surprising how much effect that can have Um, and it's hard to really know how to tell just speakers to improve it apart from have singing lessons singing lessons is also a very good exercise for you uh, they strengthen your stomach muscles and all sorts of things. That I could actually do with going back at the moment, yeah. but you know that's also another positive. The <laughs> good exercise is more fun than a gym. Um, I think the interesting thing. So actually, before music, I used to a little bit of amateur dramatics at school, and um, that helped a bit too. Because the thing with a band, of course, is if you're a singer, of course, well, not all singers, but most singers have a bit of ego, and you're the kind of the person holding everything together you're the the you're not the person holding all together but you're the person everyone's looking at um and you have to have a bit of ego in that whereas if you're a guitarist or a bass player or someone behind the scenes you can sometimes hide behind other people so it doesn't necessarily teach you any better how to be more confident on stage because if you're in a band you can just hide behind people if you're doing acting or comedy comedy especially stand-up comedy i mean stand-up comedy i think is the the hardest thing in the world because A, you have to make people laugh or you've failed B, there's no one to hide behind <laughs> so yeah. I actually think it, I really am really um, respectful of people who do stand-up comedy because it's got to be so hard mm. um, and I was never very good at improvising as a musician either and if people always say oh got a guitar play a song I always hate that because I was more of a songwriter I couldn't just pick up a guitar and play I had to think about it um, whereas if someone said to me, speak about this subject for five minutes, actually, I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> so, I can talk crap for five minutes, no problem. But writing a song, a bit different. But, so I think it gives you mixtures of different skills. When you play, do you play alone? or No, always in, always in, in a band. band. Yeah. Yeah. But you're drumming. Yeah. So you're the one, you are the one keeping it together, yep. which is different as well. I mean, this is actually an interesting thing as a drummer. If a guitarist gets a bum note, people don't notice that much. If a drummer misses a couple of beats, you can notice more sometimes. I don't know, it depends on the band, of course, and the style of music, but yep. yeah, I don't know. Um, and I guess what what did you start first, the training or the live performance? So, yeah, uh,
1: definitely, definitely music. Um, so I found music when I was 15, hmm. uh, and it was a great outlet you know, uh, for those angsty years going through high school yep. and all of that stuff kept me out of uh, a fair bit of trouble. Um, not all of the trouble, but, um, yeah, I think it was, you know, a really positive influence. Uh, and then uh, I came across uh, programming when I went to university. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I really did want to pursue music as a career, but my parents kind of said, well, how about you do a degree, get a degree yeah. behind yeah, you. <laughs> um <laughs> And you know, and it, look, it's it, it's it's good advice. It was good advice, yeah. um, and I, I don't have any regrets. Uh, and but now that I'm sort of I'm freelancing and I'm having more flexibility with my time, I hope that it it doesn't have to be. I have to choose, you know,
0: programming or music. I'm hoping that it becomes more of a, a blend. As well, actually, so things. here's an interesting point you just said. We're both freelancers as well, and I think no matter where you are in a band it gives you a little bit of confidence boost as well. And as a freelancer, you know, it's not just about programming. You have to go out, you have to meet clients, you have to negotiate, you have to put on a good show to get people to employ you, etc., etc. So would you say there's also a lot of those, those soft skills? I mean, I hate the term in some respects, but people know what we mean when we say it, that are improved as well because you can put on a good show. Like I've always found myself to be quite good in job interviews because I can put on a show. And I'm not saying that's good necessarily, because a show could be uh, yeah. have no real base sometimes. But um, do you think that's helped you in a lot of that? So, I mean, you're doing training, especially, which is definitely putting on a show, but yep. with the negotiation as well.
1: Oh, everything. You're right. I mean, um, I'm a big fan of if you can learn something that is transferable to other disciplines or other parts of your life, you're actually not just learning one thing. You've basically learned ten things because yep. you can apply it in ten different ways. So you're totally right, you know, um, organising the logistics for a show, what's the (laughs) the gear, what's the equipment, do I need to bring my microphone? (laughs) You know, it just helps you to think through all of the things that could go wrong and to be prepared so, you know, when you get there, you're going to look good, you're going to sound good, you've got the right gear. Mm. You know, uh, it sounds crazy, but with all the, you know, new laptops, Chris and I have got the new MacBooks, USB-Cs, you know, I've got an army of dongles that I have to carry around with me everywhere. Because you just never know yeah. what TV they're going to have, what projector. So it, there's definitely some, some skills there. Um, another thing that helped me too, like I'm quite introverted. So when I get up on stage, I don't want to go and talk to people. I just kind of want to just chill out. And, um, you know, and often it's the same with training. You know, I've, I've been talking, let's say, for three hours before lunch. And then often at lunchtime, that's when students will start to have a lot of questions. Mm. You know, they want to ask the more informal questions that they perhaps didn't want to ask in front of the whole class. And that's really cool. But sometimes um, it can be hard because you just want to take a, a break. Um, but having been a musician and having toured and having, you know, you talk to people that are come out to see you, you kind of put on that, that showmanship aspect and mm. you just, you know, you talk about what they want to talk about. Um, and that's that's what enables me, I think, to to, to do training um, that otherwise would be incredibly exhausting, and it is. But because there is that showmanship aspect to it, it's kind of like a mode. It's not not a can, very good
0: gender neutral word for that is no. It's, not, show, it's showpersonship. Showpersonship. No. It, it's just a it's showmanship. A, it's, a,
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a mode that you can yeah. that you can get into, and I think I think that's what what
0: really helps. But I'm sure there's lots of things. But practically speaking, there's a lot of that that comes from that. Knowing how to project uh, like if you know how if you know how to project properly, which comes from a lot of it comes from singing but also in other aspects, you lose your voice less quickly yep. um, you can be heard, you uh, keep your stamina longer. I remember watching a show with Henry Rollins doing his uh, one one man shows I mean yeah. right, he is one man <laughs> so, yeah. um, and uh, he would do. I think nearly three hours. He never stopped. I never saw him take a drink. So <laughs> he constantly looks like he's about to jump into a fight. <laughs> and I, He is someone that even as he's just speaking, not singing, um, he knows how to project. Yeah. And the microphone is usually about several uh, a meter away from him. Actually, here's, you picked up on one of the things that bugs me the most about uh, tech presenters is microphone technique. I wrote a little blog post about this. But again, this comes from singing um, or even just backup singing. The ability, knowing how to use a microphone properly. A microphone is a particular shape, it works a particular way. Yes, it's old school analog technology. <laughs> it works a particular way. Once you understand how a microphone works, you suddenly understand how you should actually use it. Yeah. Um, if you speak a lot, I would actually recommend you get your own microphone because, A, the best way to. Uh, a microphone is a tool, um, especially if you look at singers, they will get very close to microphones and you get dynamics in your voice from the level and the, the proximity to a microphone. But microphones are also, can also be germ-ridden. So if you do use it a lot, then I would recommend maybe get around a microphone. It is harder on the speaking circuit because you never really know what mm-hmm. kind of venue you're going to be in, yeah. but there's potential ways to get around that. Watch singers. Again, watch how they use a microphone and this will help you a lot with... So one thing you can do, interestingly, uh, even in tech presentations is this dynamics of your voice. You can have your normal talking voice when you're maybe, you know, uh, 15 centimetres or so away from a microphone. And then when you want to make like an aside joke, you can kind of go closer and pretend to whisper, but it's intentional, of course. Or you can step back and proclaim something loudly. And all this kind of stuff helps keep people's attention, but... If you don't know how a microphone works, it's hard to introduce that because you'll just be quiet or too loud all the time or yep. pop it and plosives and things I, like that. I yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, uh, you
1: were talking about stand-up comedians mm. earlier and I have so much respect, for any stand-up comedian, like, I don't think I've, I'm have i brave enough to, to, to do it and I don't think I'm particularly funny, so, yeah, it's not going to happen. But... Um, you know, uh, watching a stand-up comedian and how they use the microphone is fascinating mm-hmm. because you know when they're doing impersonations of people, um, if they're simulating, like you said, like a loud voice, they'll they'll you know put the microphone away uh, and then they'll project into it. So it's kind of like a yelling voice as opposed to you know a quiet voice where they'll hold it like right up. Um, they, there's fascinating stuff that they can that they do, um, and so I watch I've watched stand-up comedy. Uh, just to see what sort of things they do. Um, And then, like you said, with the voice uh, projection as well. Uh, Another thing I would say, if you do public speaking, you may not have ever actually heard yourself through Mm. speakers. Mm. Um, Or maybe you haven't recorded uh, a podcast like this or you haven't done a tutorial video. Even if you know nothing about audio technology or microphone technique or anything, I guarantee that... If you just record yourself with a decent microphone, so like allocate at least a hundred dollars, but if you get like a half decent microphone, you plug it into your computer and you record yourself. It's amazing. Mm. Uh, Humbling, definitely. Uh, But you'll just instantly pick up so many things that you can do to improve, you know, how you come across. And what I love about public speaking is that it's not just about public speaking. It's about communication. So I've found that by when I do my training, I've become a better communicator just in general. Yeah. Because yeah. if I can't communicate something complex in a very simple way, I fail at my job. And so one of my favorite things, uh, this is a bit weird, but you know, you'll be on a plane, I travel a lot, yeah. and people will say, you know, what do you what do you do? And so I I I start off, you know, it's like, oh, I work with computers. Because how do, you, how do you explain what DevOps is to someone who's not in this industry, right? Keep applications
0: going. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah that that's okay? right. <laughs> um, but, you know, sometimes people will, will ask more questions. And so uh, I'm doing a lot of work with Docker. I do a lot of Docker training at the moment. And they say, oh, what's Docker? And I love this challenge of explaining what a container is, what Docker is to someone that knows nothing about computers except how to turn it on and use Microsoft Word and the internet. Um, That's phenomenal practice for Mm, me mm, because if I can, once again, it's like uh, that person is my audience. I have to figure out what is going to make sense to them, present it in a way that's engaging to them, and I think it's just about good communication. Um, If you're a good communicator, you can write well, you can speak well, you can project well, you can train well, you can do anything. And so uh, maybe that's where the overlap with music comes in too. All
0: right. Well, this is a nice segue, actually. I'm glad you read my mind. (laughs) So I kind of started my uh, opening of of this topic with um, how there was a lot of crossover between programmers and musicians. And this is not uncommon. I hear this a lot. And I'm trying desperately through a very few quick Google searches, because, of course, we're very prepared for this podcast, (laughs) um, about trying to find some evidence of this. Because there has been circumstantial evidence to say that the same areas of the brain are triggered by music and computing and that if you want your child to do well at maths or computing, they should also learn an instrument. And you could draw lots of parallels with, well, music is basically maths and algorithms when you actually break it down. Um, there's, there are some commonalities, but also is it just about the creative aspect? Uh, who knows? It's also coordination. It is, it's hard to tell. Pattern matching, of course, guitars, pianos, etc., all follow patterns. Um and I, yeah, I'm struggling to find any actual evidence to support any of this now, but it, it seems, based on um, circumstantial evidence, it seems quite likely. It seems quite common. Or is it just because they We're both creative people um, who like to create and remix, you know, because coding and music are basically... No one really writes any original code or any original music. You're remixing pre-existing patterns and influences and things like that are they just very similar in that way yeah i
1: know it's it's hard to know yeah i i don't i don't know of any studies that have that have proven it either way um and whether this is something that's specific to music and programming or or whether it's photography and programming or in fact whether it's just Anything left brain to to right brain, um, so I don't think Chris and I are saying that this is like a special link between necessarily coding and and no, um, you don't and have music. to
0: be fantastic at either of them to be good at the, the, the other one either. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, what I can what I can definitely say, um, and depending
1: upon the type of person you are and why perhaps you like coding or why you like music, this is this is going to be different for you. But for me, what I like about both is that there is an intensely technical part. So, you know, with drumming, um, you know, dynamics and technique and making sure that you hit the drum in exactly the right spot to get the best possible sound from the drum. So it's incredibly technical, yet at the same time, there's that creative element and you have to be relaxed and you have to play with groove and with feeling. I think how, for me, how that translates into coding is that You know, you've got something, uh, you know, also deeply technical, um, you've got, you're writing instructions that communicate with some sort of, you know, interpreter, which is communicating with the CPU. Um, perhaps a user is interacting with your computer program. So you're, you know, modeling some sort of state or interaction. Um, but at the same time, while it's deeply technical, it's also incredibly creative Mm. because what programming language do you use? What framework do you use, um... How do you write the documentation for your developers versus your end users versus what does the screen communicate versus what instructions do you do? What is the actual flow of how you want to do something? Um, and I think that's what attracts me to code. Uh, it's you know I'm not necessarily the sort of developer that will that will want to work on an algorithm to improve image manipulation uh, or compression. I, I have so much respect for people that do that. That's not really me. I like to mix a whole lot of things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess now that I'm talking through it I I always imagine that there's like an audience on the other end of whatever I'm doing so I love building something which makes someone's life easier than it was before that code or computer program or whatever existed so there's the technical part which is obviously the implementation but I think what I love the most or maybe drives the technical stuff for me is that creativity in the first place Mm -hmm. how can I actually build a new type of user interface or Whatever it is, uh, to kind of make that thing easier to do. Do you read music?
0: No. Because actually, I mean, even Tab or even Drumming Tab, like they're like programming languages in some respects, that to someone who doesn't understand it, it's meaningless. To someone who does, it's a universal language. Yep. You know, no matter what uh, human language, no, no matter what spoken language you speak, someone who understands music or understands C, they can understand each other through that medium. There's yep. a parallel there as well. In fact, in some respects, music is more complicated. Yes. <laughs>
1: so, yeah. um, I haven't learned how to read music. I I, I do want to learn one day. I'm yeah. not one of these people that's like, you know, oh, yeah. Well, there's,
0: but there's reading it and there's interpreting it. I yes. can read music very slowly. Can I uh, sight read and play whilst I read it? No. That's a different skill, actually, right. in some respects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My dad can see a sheet of music and just play it. I can read it and understand it and I can play it very slowly <laughs> but not live yeah. um, I'll put some links in the show notes about uh, some articles and research about what we're talking about there's one here on Wired there's one on the Huffington Post we're not the first to think about this topic um, yeah but it's interesting that there's an attraction I, I wonder if there's also an element of the outsider as well you know coding and music has often attracted the outsiders yep. um, some would say you know coding is the new punk I don't know <laughs> <laughs> like the new way of sort of being expressive in the modern world um, and they have a I yeah. think the one thing they have in common is they have they have a community
1: around them yeah so if you know if you're a, if you're <laughs> an a pop- obsessive community <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know if, if you love if you love punk then you're going to find a way meetups or, or whatever mm-hmm. going to shows you'll find a crew that you can go and enjoy punk with mm-hmm. if you program in python you mm-hmm. will find a community of people either locally or at conferences where you can be around those same sort of people mm-hmm. um And it is kind of funny how just like people that are interested in certain genres or certain programmers in certain languages, often there are a lot of sort of, you know, like if you go to a Python conference versus a different conference, um, everyone's, you know, lovely people and everything, but there are certain sort of, what do I say, like... certain things unique to each sort of, you know, uh, programming language or style or or whatever. And I think that's really cool too. Mm, mm. So just, you know, if you went to a pop show versus a rock show versus, you know, one programming language conference versus another, you get like a slightly different take on things. Mm. And I think that's really cool too. It's not just about the code. It's, I don't think someone necessarily chooses a language because that code pleases them. I think, it's so much more than that it's the culture it's the people it's the what it stands for it's it's a lot of
0: stuff and we start getting into comparing programming languages to musical genres I guess C and C++ would be classical music oh god I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna comment Java would be pop music (laughs) Yeah, you're on your own. JavaScript, I would say, is an alternative <laughs> because it's it's people think it's an alternative to mainstream, but is it really? <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I would say <laughs> is that whatever you find yourself drawn to,
1: you know, just just go with that. Um, so many people wouldn't ask me like, oh, you know, I want to learn how to code. What should I do? Yeah. I just say, you know, just find a bunch of tutorials and just do one where you find that, you know, you look up from the screen and four hours have gone by and you're like, oh, what happened? Okay,
0: now, you, you seem to be reading my mind here. Here's another nice segue. So we've talked about this connection of musicians and programmers, but there's also another uh, connection between music and programming, which is often that um, there's, again, some evidence, and I'll put some links here and you can make your own minds up, of connecting um, listening to music to programming. So even if you can't play music... Um, that listening to it can help you get in the flow. The right sort of music for the right sort of person, it will vary, of yep. course. I find myself quite often listening to podcasts and for some work that's too distracting mm-hmm. and uh, for other work it's okay. But, you know, there's a cliche of programmers sat in open plan offices with huge headphones. Sometimes I might be listening to something, something it might just be for silence, but this ability to get into a flow... And certain sorts of music can be better at this than others. Um, okay. Any thoughts on that?
1: Oh, okay. So I haven't. I feel like I haven't cracked the code for this one. Mm. Um, so I'll share what works for me. Uh, and this is something I'm constantly trying to evolve because I feel like the better I get at this, uh, the better I'll get into flow, mm. the more productive I'll be, all of that sort of stuff. Okay. So if I'm preparing for a course and I'm trying to come up with the design, so what topics do I want to cover? What's going to be the best stuff to to, to teach? Um, I don't listen to music. I'll go to a coffee shop or even a bar. Yeah, and, and there's actually and also evidence about
0: this... A low level of background noise is apparently yes. good as well. Yeah. So,
1: like, in those situations, I don't want music because it's actually not enough stimulation. I need voices and lots of random things going on. Seems to gel with the total just creative process. <clears throat> if I'm doing coding... Where I know the language very well I know the domain well And I'm basically just translating my thoughts into code I'll listen to my favourite music Mm. Whether it has vocals or not Because basically I just I really want to enjoy that And I'm going to just, you know, pump it out If I'm doing something where I'm having to learn as I go uh, And I'm sort of stumbling my way through it I will listen to something that doesn't have vocals And normally, like... uh, chill house music or maybe even classical Mm. because what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to provide a level of background music so I feel like I'm you know calmly stumbling through not getting really frustrated and I find that just a little bit of music that takes the silence away also just helps me better engage and stop like doubting myself at every at Mm. every turn like when I learn something um, you know, sometimes there's a lot of negative self-talk involved. Like, oh, I should know this. Everyone else knows this. I'm so behind. yadda yadda yada, Oh my gosh, this deadline's coming up. You know, all that sort of stuff. And I find that just a little bit of background music can sometimes just just affect my mood enough, and just sort of, you know, did, uh, give, it a, you, give it a you nice say vibe. background
0: music. Do you mean a stereo or headphones or both? Does it does it matter? Does it make a difference? To me, it. Doesn't really matter.
1: Um, I th- it just depends where I am. So obviously, if I'm in a coffee shop and I don't want to bother anyone else, it's it's headphones. Um, you know, if yeah, I, I think it. I think it really just depends. It's another one of those experimentation things. Um, you know, because everyone's different. Like I know uh, there's a lot of research which says that open-plan offices are really distracting versus mm. coffee shops. Mm. Because if you can hear one person's voice... Yeah. You just want yep. to tune in to yep. understand... Yep. We're just built yep. that way. But a coffee shop, because there's yep. so much... It's more just like a dull roar. Unless there's some loud people at the coffee shop... Which is sometimes... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so And so like that seems common sense... And everyone's yep. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've talked to some programmers... Who listen to songs that have vocals in them. Mm. And that seems to kind of contradict... What a lot of other people say... Where they say, like myself... I can't listen to something with vocals because then I'll keen to the vocals and then I'm not focusing
0: on my code so much. Mm. So the thing is is that whatever works, works. I think it's very variable. So for me, I find depends what mood I'm in. Sometimes I actually find very loud, aggressive music like grunge or punk or something like that actually feels like, anyway, it gets me more fired up. Mm. Um, when it, com- it comes to vocals, I find if it's a song I know... And I don't have to listen to the vocals because I know them anyway. It doesn't distract me as much as something I don't know so much. Um, But other times I just want something kind of ambient-ish. For me it tends to be jazz, actually. Like old classical jazz. Um, Sometimes classical music. Although the dynamics of classical music can sometimes be a bit too much uh, up and down. Yeah. so it does vary,
1: yeah. I don't know. So something yeah. I listened to recently which ticked a lot of the boxes you've just described was the Pacific Rim um, motion picture <laughs> actually, soundtrack. soundtrack.
0: A lot of people talk about soundtracks. I mean, also because of the length. Um, a soundtrack for a film is probably longer than most contemporary albums. Yeah. It's a good point, actually. And that's exactly what soundtrack music's supposed to do. It's supposed to prove a bed, provide a bed for something else. That's actually a good point. I'm often a bit dismissive of soundtracks, but it's... Um, well, and the cool thing yeah. is, too, they, they tend to have a vibe, right? So Yeah, the, true, the, true,
1: true, The Pacific Rim soundtrack, I can't remember the name of the composer, but um, it, he does a lot of great stuff where he'll fuse elements of rock and metal um, and huge, massive, percussive drums with orchestral sounds. Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, Pacific Rim... Uh, Ramming... About battling aliens with huge, yeah, robots... You oh, know, with Tom Morello, okay. Yeah. With Tom Morello oh, actually, from Rage yeah. Against the Machine. <laughs> right, so for, you know, if I'm working on uh, uh, something and I need to get a bit fired up, like maybe it's a hard mm. problem, I've got to wrap my head around it, that's my go-to
0: because mm. it's got that sort of rock, distorted guitar. It's yeah, I got... find Rage Against the Machine actually very conducive to coding sometimes. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> maybe that's our age, we we'll <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I think the most important thing, like there's a lot of articles
1: out there which... which I mean, they're they're trying to be helpful, but they're prescriptive. They say, Mm -hmm. listen to classical to get into a better flow state. I wish those articles would just say, listen to music while you're coding or whatever you're doing. And you just know, like, if it feels good and it's helping you work, then it's good. And it doesn't matter what that style is. You know, people need to, I think, just...
0: Yeah, just try it. Just try listening to a bunch of I think, I think you've of different hit, uh, stuff. an issue here that I notice a lot, though, is that people want straight answers. And if you write an article that says, find what works for you, that doesn't necessarily help people to begin with because people are indecisive and want someone to tell them what to do. Yeah. Uh, so even if someone presents five options to you and you agree with half of them, it's still better than, well, I have no idea what I want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think you yeah. sometimes need to tell people what to do and then they agree with you or disagree with you, but... Yeah, I know, it's, it's a funny one, it's a funny one. <laughs> it, is, it, is a, it is a fine line. You, and I don't right. know if you've noticed this with, like, Docker is one of those technologies. I mean, they're not so much anymore because it's a bit more mature now, but when it first came out, I liken it now to blockchain chatbots. It's one of those sort of edge technologies now that everyone thinks they want to use, but they don't really know why or how, and they go into a room and they want this one person at the front to tell them and 99 other people the exact solution to their problem. Yeah. And of course that's impossible. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think this is, this is why you go to talks and read blog posts and things. Cause you want someone to solve your problem, which is impossible. Yeah. <laughs> is. yeah. But at least maybe 50% of what they say, go, well, yeah, but they, there's a few things there that I can then go and further look into and things like yeah. that. Yeah. It's
1: true. Um, I mean, I, I, this is part of the reason why I, I got into training as well. Um, there is so much information flying at us uh, every day, uh, regardless of the field um, or industry that we're in. But for coders, you know, frameworks, Docker, Kubernetes, CI, like mm-hmm. CI, CD, all of this stuff, the cloud, which cloud vendor, you know, there's so many things that we're meant to learn, and I think that's why prescriptive articles are, are really popular these days because yeah. people they don't have the headspace a lot of the time to. to sit back and think and ponder philosophically well you know what what do i want Mm. um so on the docker example uh what i try to do is i try to just get people to think about the problem that they want to solve so you know with with docker for instance the problem that you want to solve is you have an application Mm -hmm. and you want it to be able to run reliably the same way regardless of the operating system, let's say, just to keep things simple, the Linux operating system, that it's going to be deployed on. Yeah. Um, And you also just want to give a nice little package to perhaps the, the team that is going to be responsible for deploying this thing, whatever it is, right? So if it was a PHP app versus a Rails app versus a Python app... There was a lot of knowledge uh, that had to be on both sides of you know, where the developers are and the operations team and the Linux operating system to kind of get this all working. And of course, if the developers have a Mac, but then in production it's you know, Red Hat or whatever, then that, those things aren't the same. So what, you know, if, if you think about well, what would be a really nice way to fix this problem, And I think you've really got to think through the options. So one way, let's just run the same operating system across the whole organization. Well, that's not going to work because people like to use Macs and Windows. Okay, so that's out. Can we create a nice little packaging format? So I can run it on my computer. Chris, you can run it on your computer. The developer, the operations people can run it on the production Linux operating systems. And can everyone kind of run it the same way with the same config? well, that would be a really nice idea, wouldn't it? Mm. That's where Docker came from. And so what I try and do with the training is, of course, there's the kind of tips and tricks and the, you know, let's actually get and use this stuff. But I always try and get people to think about the why first.
0: Yeah. Because yeah, if exactly. they if they yeah. don't
1: get the why, um, not only are they kind of missing the whole point of this, I'm also trying to teach them how to think about everything that they mm. do. Because if they don't understand the why, often the choices of what technology to use, what platform, it's based on someone prescriptively saying that they trust, do
0: this. And they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to use that thing. And I don't know if it's just the circles I hang out in, but I felt like the past few months especially there's been an increased uh, look at the why. And the why from a very pragmatic version of technology perspective, but also the why of, you know, why are we coding things that might take away millions of jobs should we be doing that mm. and more the ethics side as well um, yeah. I actually did a talk on this recently which I need to get up which was an interesting conversation and actually bringing it back to music something that just um, occurred to me um, just looking kind of on the the some, uh, some topics around this that some um, listeners and readers submitted was uh, there's one common aspect as well which feeds a little bit into the why of like a lot of programmers like to show off how good they are at making something just because. And there is a commonality in music. Virtuosos, people who make incredibly complicated music just to show off how good they are. But again, the why. It's unlistenable. It's unsellable. It's <laughs> You know, um, how many of these kind of improv concerts have you sat in where it's just like, great, but... <sighs> This isn't fun. (laughs) And I think, I mean, this is where it gets interesting because music is considered a form of art. Coding isn't really. And, of course, one purpose of art is to challenge people. So sometimes you make something that is entirely inaccessible intentionally. I don't know if we're at that level with code yet. I'm sure someone's looked at this, like intentionally making code that is horrible. I don't know, this is something interesting to look into maybe to see if that exists um, I don't know, it's, yeah, it's something I'd like to look into maybe but, um, and some, yeah, someone sent me this link uh, related to this of an artist called The Algorithm the musical project of a French musician René Gallego from Perpignan <laughs> 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 um, this sound, I mean, it sounds like it fits very much into that his style is characterised by an unusual combination of electronic dance music with progressive metal. Wow. He chose the name the algorithm to highlight the music's comp- complex and electronic nature, <laughs> which I think kind of fits in to that aspect of the possibly showing off how complex a music that he can make and how listenable is it? No, no. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Um, but actually, on the subject of algorithms, so the final little section, which is one that topic that got thrown in by uh, an editor of mine. I I don't know if either of us has much opinion on it but let's see how we go Um, and this is a a topic that's going to come up in a lot of uh, programming areas over the next few years but we're talking specifically about music so is a developer that creates a program that creates music then a musician Um. yeah so uh, let's let's break this down a little bit actually so to for a developer to create a program that makes music um and let's just put aside applications that help music like auto-tune and Cubase and Quantize and things like that for now yeah let's just put those aside because they're not new per se um you have to understand some musical theory maybe or do you could you just pull in a module that teaches you that brings in all the musical theory into an application I don't know so, yeah, what do you think? So I,
1: I've thought about this a, a bit and honestly I'm, I'm not really sure how I think about it, yeah. uh, what, what I think about it. Um, I'll tell you what I guess I would love from something to do with uh, AI, you know, AI and code and, and music. Um, I don't have a solid foundation in musical theory. Yeah. But I do love writing music. So I know when I'm playing something and I think it sounds cool, mm. I have no idea why it sounds cool. Yeah. And so often when I get stuck is I'll have one riff and I'm like, oh, I really like that guitar riff. I don't know what to, go- to do next because I don't know what key it's in. Uh, I don't know anything about it. And so if there was a piece of software where I could say, you know, hey, computer, I've written this riff. Uh, I've written a verse can you help me with a chorus? Now, I don't want the computer to write the chorus for me because that's then it's mm. doing my art. Like I auto I, filling in an IDE. Or, that's right. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want it to go, you know, Ryan, here is your song. It's like, no, 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 it's my song. Thank you. Mm. But I would love for it to say, here's some options. So, based on the chord progressions, based on, you know, the, the frequency, the key, all mm. of that stuff, it could just throw out some options. So, it's not trying to write the chorus but it's basically like a muse, a mm. digital muse. Um, that's what I would love to see. I don't want to see computers I doing like everything. like that must exist. I don't know. It, it, probably, it probably does. Um, yeah, I don't want to see this replacing people making music. I, I mean, of course, there's going to be lots of interesting, you know, concerts where it'll all just be a computer making up music on the fly, and that's all very interesting. Not for me. Well,
0: so it's actually, we, we haven't talked. We've had... You know, 45 minutes of conversation involving music, and we haven't talked about feeling at all. Uh, And also the subject of discordance. You know, there's so there's a lot of music, a lot of music that follows formulas. This is why, even as a non musician, you can sometimes listen to a song and kind of know where it's going to go because you've heard it before, because there's mathematical patterns behind the scenes. Even with no knowledge of musical theory as a musician, you can appreciate because you can see on the keyboard or on uh, the fretboard of a guitar, the patterns, or as a drummer, you kind of know, well, this makes people dance because yeah. it's a rhythm that they can shake their arms to and move their legs to. You know, there's just things you can pick up on because we're humans and we can spot patterns and cause and effect and things like that. Um, but there are, there's also plenty of music, and Melbourne actually is home. I, I, I once got described as the Melbourne music is the sound of. Paradise at the end of the world. Like there's bands like the Drones who have been infamous for making discordant music, or Nick Cave or the birthday party. Music that, if you break it down and analyze it, shouldn't work. Yeah. Because it breaks patterns. Um, But it still works to certain people. Not everyone likes it, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But, and this is, and it's a feeling. It's a feeling that to a certain group of people, this works, even though mathematically it shouldn't. Yeah. And discordance is basically this. And I don't know if there's, anything like that in coding you know to me coding yeah. seems too logical to have like an, there's anti-patterns of course but it's yeah. not quite the same thing like this code works and we don't really know why <laughs> <laughs> this happens a lot of course but not quite the same thing I don't know yeah <laughs>
1: no, I, I agree I think that's something unique to music um, in that you can throw a bunch of things together uh, one of them on their own so let's say you know the performance or the costumes and the get up or the music or the whatever mm-hmm. would never work on its own but as a show it's this it's this incredible experience
0: yeah. beautiful mess that's a beautiful <laughs> mess
1: exactly yeah. um, you know and yeah with code I don't I think code is always there's always that sort of Boolean nature to it where there's an outcome yeah. and it's all about how well did that out, was yeah. that outcome achieved uh, so, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't know if there, there is that. Um, I would love to see people doing some of the stuff that used to happen in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but there were bands like Tool and they had a website where it was almost intentionally hard to navigate around. Like it would be an all black screen and you had to move your mouse over the entire screen to try and find out where the navigation Mm -hmm. was because that was, you know, tool was... I'm pretty sure people still do stuff like this. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's cool. Like, I would love people to use... So even if the code is not a beautiful mess... Yeah, okay, yeah. They use code to produce something that, you know, doesn't necessarily have, you know, parallax scrolling and all of this fancy stuff. Like, build a beautiful mess with code. I would love to see more people getting into code, Not, uh, not because... They want to change careers necessarily, mm. but
0: it's just another creative outlet. And like photography, there's the glitch culture is one of these aspects. Um, there's uh, chip tunes, of course. We haven't really talked about that. Uh, actually, there is. I think a lot of crossover here with this. Yeah, and you're right. It's this. It's the same. Even with dissonance, there is some pattern in there. So, but you're um, you're using those. You, you know how to abuse those patterns, and it's kind of the same thing. Like. The, the web developer of the tool website knew what they were doing. Yeah, and knew that they would please certain people. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so it's—I uh, think it's gotten a lot of correlation, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't really have an answer to this question: Is a dev that creates a program that creates music then a musician? I don't know. I'm <laughs> I not like sure. Now. I would—I would wonder how many developers behind GarageBand and Cubase and things like that know much about music. I don't know. it it's musical production anyway, it's different. I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough one. Like you have a lot of the algorithmic stuff in um Garage Band, for example. Mm. Yep. Um so I guess there's some musician input into that at some point. Mm. Um It depends on the lens yeah. that you look at it at
1: through. Like if you're looking at it through the lens of the developer that's actually writing the algorithms that's analysing Uh, a piece of music for and it's trying to figure out the style Mm -hmm. and the beats per minute and where the beat is and all of that sort of stuff I mean from the programmer's point of view that's data structures and uh, Mm. you know waveform analysis and things like this Mm. from the user's point of view that's that's using GarageBand that's just recorded some acoustic guitar and now they have a drum beat and a bass line
0: uh, it's something magical Mm -hmm. it is something different um, yeah, I'm not, I'm it, not sure. It's actually, it just reminded me of when I used to first make computer music, I used a program called Octomed on the Amiga, which was amazing because they somehow uh, made four channels of audio equal eight, which was peak amazingness in those days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I actually used to do a lot with MIDI and we haven't talked about MIDI either. Yeah. Because MIDI is almost like programming music because you can just. Precisely place beats and notes, the exact yeah. velocities and places you want, and things like that. And I almost used to yeah, code my music. Yep. But still, there was an element of, at the end result, I had to sit there and think, how does it sound? Yep. You know, a beat that didn't match a pattern with notes that sounded horrible was still, I still had to have a reasonable feeling behind yes. that, even though I was coding it. And actually, um, one of the other comments that came up from the same person was around this. Uh, I actually had to look up what that was for the Digital Audio Workstation. So what you were just talking about, you know, you can look at waveforms and a mathematician will sort of see what's going on. And even with my audio editing, I've started to now be able to identify certain noises in waveforms. There's a lot of these patterns there. And he talks about um, musicians who are devs have the opportunity to create more unique sounds than other musicians, particularly in electronic music, because they can create their own unique palette of sounds... That isn't as easily reproducible as people using um, stock sounds or, or real, real sound in quote marks. Mm. Yeah, and it's the same as that, like kind of coding with MIDI. You could sort of you look at it from a more technical perspective, and this is the same aspect with the chip tunes and things like that. But um, I think there's a there's a combination there again. I heard an amazing piece where someone had recreated an entire soundtrack out of eight bit chip tunes. Wow. And that included, you know, replicating dozens of instruments from an orchestra and things like that. And technically, of course, that was incredible. But the person obviously had an ear as well. You know, what can I leave out? What detail can I leave out? And all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So, yeah. I think this is just ultimately where creativity
1: um, is, is the thing that is always going to reign supreme. Mm. So as a developer, if we can turn our developer brains off to then use the creative part Mm. and then feed the creative part into our technical knowledge, then, yeah, we can do things that other people can't even imagine. Mm. Mm. But I think the the reverse can also be true. If, as developers, we think of the code first, we sometimes miss some of the totally random, bizarre things that someone who's not technically minded will do. They'll think of something that's actually impossible and then they'll just find a developer Mm. on some sort of platform to build it for them. Um, you know I've always been a big fan of people that create their own samples yeah one yeah. of my favourite stories um, that I heard uh, with the age player I used to play in a band with um, his uh, producer he was walking past and he heard some kids uh, bouncing a basketball on yeah, the uh, concrete yeah, yeah, yeah and the slap sound that the ball made when it hit the concrete he really liked that um, uh, in terms of like a bass drum sound, yeah. that real clicky sound and so he sampled that, yep. brought it back, compressed yep. it, yep. and then people were like, wow, how did you get that bass yep. drum sound? And he just sort of chuckled, you know. Um, I kind of love that. Yeah, I don't always think it's about, like, the best sound or the best way to get a certain sound. I think
0: it's also just about falling in love with the process. But th- th- this, this is, you know, our conventional lineup of, you know, a kind of rock band is quite new. Um, like the drum kit, the conventional drum kit, Actually, not that long ago was elements used in marching bands and things. You know, the, the rock drum kit we have now is not that new, not that old. Sorry. Um, and you know, we had like skiffle music where they would make uh, percussive instruments out of washboards and boxes and things. You know, yep. getting sounds out of stuff is, is is nothing. That's that's as old as time immor- time immortal. Yeah, time, time immemorial, whatever the phrase is. Yeah, <laughs> so, I think, I think you're right, actually. I think this is possibly where we start to see where the worlds of a programmer and uh, some sorts of music get closer. It's that l- love of experimenting and the technical aspect of experimenting. Yeah. You know, even when a classical musician will pick up a violin and sometimes make staccato sounds instead of using the bow or you know, playing the, the strings on the, on the head of the guitar instead of on the actual strings. Yeah. And, um, even using a tremolo or a whammy bar is playing with it. Effects pedals. We haven't even got to the subject of things like the theremin or an amazing um, item that Kate and I saw at IFA this year, which we've already talked about in the podcast, the... Um, um, <laughs> complete blank over what it's called, but it was a device that connected up to a Raspberry Pi with capacitive paint, and you could turn it into a form of an instrument, and people have made pianos out of it and all sorts of things. Right. You know, this... This, these technical instruments. We sort of mentioned it briefly, but we mm. didn't talk about that at all. And There's a lot of correlation there. Yeah. A lot of correlation there, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and MIDI as well. Actually, I saw a guy present... He, When I actually asked a question, if anyone got any questions for this podcast, he liked the tweet, but he didn't respond, strangely. And he did a talk on um, using MIDI controllers, uh, so Chrome, I think, or in, I guess everything based on Chrome has the MIDI API and using MIDI controllers to control presentations and change code. So he had one example where he had a, a MIDI sensor ring that he was using to change the colors on the web page and stuff like that. So this, you know, we're getting, you know, it's even like things meant for coders could be used for music. <laughs> so so yeah. I think we could go on I think we could have an entire podcast series maybe on this subject. But we've been talking for nearly an hour, so maybe we should uh, quit whilst we're ahead yeah. I and mean, something that's come up to me, I'm gonna throw this one last thing out of you. I know you 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 didn't like it when I made comparisons earlier, but I'm gonna kinda of say I'm happy know, for you to make the comparisons. I if guess you, if you agree here. If you agree here? Yeah. Would you say that drummers are DevOps people? There's a lot of similarity there. They keep things going. Okay, so what uh <laughs> a- <laughs>
1: Excellent question, Chris. Uh, um, what, I, what I would say is that the qualities that I find uh, in drummers is that we, are, we think about how everything is going to fit together. So we want to make sure that the singer is happy, but we want to make sure that they don't drink too much so they're not a mess when they get on stage. <laughs> we want to nurture the guitarist's ego without making sure they think that they're so amazing that they're just unbearable to be around. So maybe drummers do make good DevOps people because we want to make sure that everything down the line works and that everyone is collaborating and that everyone is happy. So, uh, you know, it turns out to be a good show, in quotes from... more like a tour manager to me, but anyway. <laughs> or a conductor, but I don't know. Well, maybe that's just the bands I've been in. But, yeah. um, you know, I think because as the drummer, uh, you know, we're up the back and we're seeing everything forward. And so, yeah, I guess to take that with, for, with from a DevOps perspective, perhaps we, you know, or I naturally look at every part of that pipeline. I don't mm-hmm. just say, well, I've shipped my code, whatever happens from here on in, whatever. I want to know that what I have done at step zero is going to only positively impact all the steps mm-hmm. uh, to... To, uh, deployment, so yeah, you know may, maybe, maybe. <laughs>
0: let's not get into where other musicians would fit into oh. the... <laughs> Yeah I, I think, but... I, I, think I, I can't actually figure out, because rhythm guitarists bass guitarists, lead
1: guitarists lead guitarists, that would be an interesting one yeah, yeah lead guitarists would be it depends on the lead guitarist. Ah, this gets very bad. <laughs> maybe maybe your maybe your listeners can chime in. What what do they think? All of the different people in different bands, or even in you know different orchestras, you know what would a guitarist be
0: in terms of a developer or a you know role? And a have guitarists are obsessed with yeah. technique and performance. So maybe you know you're more like uh, machineable languages, but then you have guitarists who are about feeling and don't care so much about the the, the technique yeah so maybe that's more something else anyway let's leave let's this here before i get to dangerous territory <laughs> um how can people find your tech work and your music work sure so uh i've got a
1: drumming website called uh, rhino drums that's r-y-n-o drums.com um I did that more just to sort of document for my own, you know, fun and purposes what I've done with music and I hope to contribute to that. Um, I'm sort of getting into into blogging. Um, I'm on Medium at Ryan Blunden. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ryan, R-Y-A-N underscore Blunden. It's B-L-U-N-D-E-N. Um, and, you know, if anyone's got any questions, uh, you know, about how... Uh, music and coding can can work together um, you know I'd be happy to, 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 to help people out and you, but you're training too Your I'm trained that's that's what the training
0: I'm, side that's...
1: yes so the training side um, yeah that's that's something that I'm also doing at the moment i just sort of kicking off everywhere I don't actually have a great website for okay. that the website where people will be able to go eventually uh, it's rabbitbird.com um, the best kind of animal that that's right. The, it's it's uh, yeah. I don't even know. It's a, that's a long story <laughs> how that how that came about. But that's going to be the home for all things tech. So rabbitbird.com for the tech side of my life, and then Rhino Drums for the music side.
0: Okay, excellent. Thank you very much for your time, Ryan. Thanks for having me.